Genesis chapter 16 tonight. Genesis chapter 16. Of course, in the last few weeks, we have been bombarded with what's been going on over in Palestine, Canaan, land, Israel, and that whole area. Now, sometimes you get uh, a little quandary about what to call it. Uh, Because Israel, of course, that's all going to be their land. You understand that? As far as God's concerned, it's all going to be their land. God gave it to Abraham a long, long time ago. And uh, but I'm not going to get so much into that tonight as I am why Israel and the Arabs can't have peace until Jesus comes. There's not going to be any kind of lasting peace till Jesus comes. In Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Now, right away after these first two verses, you know this is not going to be good. Isn't that right? I mean, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that this is not going to be good. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. Boy, that's typical right there. (laughs) I'm sorry, you just got to smile a little bit at that, don't you? Wasn't this whole thing her idea? I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes, and the Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar... Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself unto her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. The angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, And shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore, the well was called Virlahiroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare 
Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Now, how old would he be when he has Isaac? So this is 14 years before he has Isaac. The promise of a son was given in Genesis chapter 15. And it's about 10 years that passed since the promise of a son that Sarai gets tired of waiting and she comes up with this idea. And I believe in this we have the seed of the beginning of the problem. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, not just to give us some Bible knowledge and understanding, but Father, also to teach us some lessons. There are some tremendous lessons in this old passage. May we get it, I pray. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Of course, man keeps looking for peace, and there isn't any peace. Jesus warned us that there would be wars and rumors of war. For instance, we can remember, a number of us can remember, remember back in 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down and communism seemed to be falling apart and country after country and throwing at the yokes. And it seems like there would be peace. But then just two years later, we have Iraq attacking Kuwait and we have the beginning of Gulf War I. And then later, of course, Gulf War II. And the reality is there's been fighting in so many other parts of the world that man is incapable of peace like he is. We need a king, and that will be King Jesus. When he comes back, he'll take care of that. Now, there may be some times of peace, but it's never continuous, never a fervent peace until Jesus comes. Some people used to say, well, it's all over oil. But it's not all over oil. We have plenty of oil. There's oil in countries around the world that nobody even thought of. There's plenty of oil. It's just a matter of getting it out there to the people. There may be, there may be some possibilities there. But even over in, in that part of the world, when you've got Saudi Arabia and you've got the different countries that are over there, uh, this, man, that's where the riches are, in oil. And some people thought, when we had Gulf War I, that the main cause behind it was oil, but it wasn't oil. The conflict goes back to the time of Abraham and Sarah before they had Isaac, the son of promise. And I think if you think about it with me tonight, you'll see that as we cover it. And the today, it seems to be more worldwide simply because of the fact that Muslims have been spreading throughout the world, not just the United States. Through illegal immigration, they did that throughout Europe so that other countries are infected by all this as well. Genesis chapter 16, we find the root of the problem, whether it be the Six-Day War of 1967, the Persian Gulf Wars uh, back in 2002 with Gulf War II, or you go to what's going on today. It's all the same thing. I want you to notice some lessons we learned from this story. First of all, there is the wicked plan. This is not a victory chapter for Abraham. And we find throughout Scripture, as we learn, for instance, during the revival with, with Naomi, as we learn during the revival with Moses, as we learned in the revival also during that time with David, as he was spoken of as well by the evangelist that was with us, uh, we find that even the best of God's men have some spots in their life that they're not particularly proud of. 
some dark spots in their life. Today, we want to throw people away because they didn't respond like they should have responded in a certain situation one time in their life. And when they do that and disappoint us, as far as we're concerned, they're no good for life. I'm glad God does not look at us that way. Every one of us would be in trouble. Abraham was a great man. But even as Elihu said, great men are not always wise. And in this chapter, this is one of those chapters where he definitely was not always wise. And it's interesting as you study the scripture, you find that God himself tells us about those dark times in the lives of some of the choicest of his servants. You take Peter denying the Lord three times on the night before the crucifixion. He tells us all about it. He lets us know what Peter did. My, maybe none of us should read Acts chapter 2 and his message because Peter had been such a failure not too long before that. Now, none of us, of course, would take that kind of an attitude toward Peter. Or we could go back to David. He was still a man after God's own heart. Now, as I said, this event is taking place about 10 years after he was promised a son in Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, it said, And Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. The apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit looked back to that event to remind us in the New Testament that salvation is by grace through faith in God's promise of a son. So in Genesis chapter 15, uh, with that promise, the promise of a birth of a son that would come, 10 years later, he still hasn't come. Sarah's still not expecting. So Sarah comes up with a plan. God promised. 10 years later, it still hadn't taken place. You know, one of the things I discover from that is that God is not in a hurry. God's timing is always perfect. In Galatians chapter 4, the Bible says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. God always does things in the right time. Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus that Lazarus, whom thou lovest, is sick, and he stayed two days where he was at. Ended up being four days late as far as the life of Lazarus was concerned. But he knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He may have been four days late, but I want to tell you he was right on time. So Sarah, like many times we do, we're trusting in the Lord. Things aren't moving as fast as we, what we think that they ought to move. And so we come up with our own plan. In plain terms, he's basically, she's basically saying this to her husband. You commit adultery with my handmaid and we'll take the baby. We'll raise the baby. That baby from my handmaid, that will be the promised son. You know, sometimes we just feel bigger than God, that we can do what we want in order to help God out, and God doesn't need any help. Now, there's a couple things about this wicked plan. It was wicked for a number of reasons. It was wicked, number one, because it was immoral. You know, there are many people who don't see any problem here because simply because their conscience has been seared by the sin that goes on around us today. This was not a plan that God came up with. It was not a plan that God had given. 
And adultery is always wrong. It doesn't matter. You say, but preacher, they didn't have the law at that time. I, I know they didn't have the law at that time, but he knew God well enough to get a promise. He ought to know God well enough to know that this was wicked. It was immoral. You know, it's not just people in the world who practice lifestyles like this. Uh, for instance, abortion is murder. It's still murder. But it's amazing how many times it happens in Christian homes and in way too many churches where some young lady gets pregnant out of wedlock and they go ahead and have an abortion even though they've even marched on the abortion clinics and said it was wrong. And it is still wrong. It's still the taking of the life. And that's reality. So her plan was wicked because it was immoral. Not only that, her plan was wicked because it was unscriptural. God had already given the promise, and the promise was enough. It is God that opens and closes the womb. It seems like those in the Old Testament understood that when they were thinking straight. When they weren't thinking straight, they seemed to forget it. They felt like they had to help God out. But you say it was Sarah's plan. Yeah, I know it was Sarah's plan, but it was Abraham who went into the tent, not Sarah. They had manipulated the word of God. For instance, people put their circumstances above the word of God when it comes to tithing. They know that tithing's right. They know that tithing is commanded by God. They know that tithing is something that believers are supposed to do. It is God who gets the first fruits. Tithing is taught in the scripture. It's taught in the Old Testament. It's taught in the New Testament whether it be by the Lord Jesus Christ himself or also in the book of Hebrews, tithing is still right. And yet some people can come up with all kinds of excuses not to tithe. Or some people think they can just send a tithe any old place they want to go. I believe it goes to the local church. I have believed that right on through. I, I just read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, even in taking up a special offering, they were to bring it into the church. That ought to be enough for anybody right there. Unless, of course, they don't want to do it. Or whether it be soul winning or dating. I'm sorry. God has laid down how we're supposed to act with one another, men and women, before they get married. And what it's supposed to be like afterwards. And there are no exceptions to that. When he says they're not to touch, they're not to touch. Period. Till they say, I do. Then it's all right. It's amazing to me how people try to explain their way around that. When they do that, they're really making the word of God of no effect whatsoever. God has already laid it out. Her plan was wicked because it was immoral, because it was unscriptural, and because it was impatient. You say, what do you mean? They waited 10 years. How in the world is that impatient? Well, God said he was going to do it. When God says he's going to do it, he didn't tell them to do it. He said he was going to do it. He was going to give them a son. So you let God do it. God always works things out right. You lose some things when you're impatient. And we often get impatience. You lose your integrity. Number one, Proverbs 25, 21. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. When we have a tendency to be impatient with God, we lose our integrity. One of the reasons why there are so many bankruptcies is people have to have things right now. They have to have it right now. They can't wait. 
Oh, we've asked God to give us this car. Look at this beautiful car God gave us. Well, he and the bank that we now owe a tremendous amount of interest to. Absolutely amazing. Let's give God credit for that when if God wants you to have it, you know, he can, he can get it to you. He can take care of it. We, we get very impatient about things in premarital counseling. I'm always telling families, listen, you don't need everything it took your mom and dad 30 years to get. You can wait. I mean, yeah, those first years, you can just live on love. You, you, don't, you don't even need a, living, a dining room table. And get yourself a couple of crates, set it up, and put the food on top of those. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. But don't go out and get yourself in debt to pay for stuff that you really don't need. And you don't need a brand new car. You need an A-B car. You need a car that'll get you from point A to point B. That's what you need. You don't need one that you drive around. Everybody says, wow, they must be a rich couple. Look at that car. Matter of fact, I hate to say it, you don't even need air conditioning in the car. I know we live in Alabama. I've got air conditioning in my car. Thank God for it. But we had times when we didn't have air conditioning in a car. We, for years and years, we just bought A-B cars. When they start causing more problems than what they're worth, we get another A-B car. That's how we did it. But you lose your integrity when you're impatient. You lose your perspective and you lose your strength. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Thank you very much. Not only that, you lose your spiritual power when you're impatient. The Bible says in James 1, 4, let patience work her perfect work that ye may be perfect. The main reason so many people don't grow spiritually is that they've not learned to wait on God. You say, but preacher, it's hard. Yeah, all of life is hard. So what? The fact that it's hard, that's how you build character. You just do it. Just do right. Being hard doesn't take away from God's plan, but her plan was a wicked plan. Now, also in this chapter, we see a weak man. It's amazing that we're not talking about Judas Iscariot here, and we're not talking about Demas, and we're not talking about Alexander the coppersmith. We're talking about, of all things, a Bible example of faith. Abraham is a Bible example of faith. That doesn't mean all the time, especially not right here, because he gives into it. In chapter 17, God will deal with him again. But from Genesis chapter 15 through Genesis chapter 17, there are 24 years that take place. This incident is 10 years after the promise. Do you suppose Abraham ever thought later on, maybe if I hadn't jumped ahead of God, I'd have gotten the promise sooner? Ah, perhaps so. But he had some problems here. Because you see, when you get like this, and you get weak to list, start listening to things that you know are not the right thing to do, he showed the problem of being unstable. The Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Instability is a bad thing. We need to be a stable people. And that's being stable and being willing to wait upon the Lord. 
So we see a weak man. He was connected with God, but he was distracted by his wife. A lot of things can distract us. Money can distract us. Babies can distract us. It's amazing how people can be faithful to God. Then they get a little baby and suddenly they are missing church all the time. And you wonder why. By the way, we have a nursery. Of course, we know the one thing about a church nursery is nobody gets sick anywhere in this world unless they've been in a church nursery. I mean, it's funny that people can take their child to Walmart. And people come around, they slobber all over their child. They never get sick at Walmart. They only get sick in a church nursery. You know what I mean? They know where they got it. They got it in the church nursery. Yet there are more antiseptics there than any place in Walmart, except maybe the back stock room. I remember we had a, we had a secretary who was expecting, this is years ago, we were over in the other building, and Pastor Davis said to her, said to her now, now don't you be, don't you be like a lot of these young couples. They have a baby and they just, they got it. One has to stay home with the baby all the time. You make sure, oh, she said, Pastor Davis, I would not do that. Pastor Davis, we will be here. They had a baby and they were just like a lot of other young couples. We had our first baby. We hadn't been saved very long. We'd only been saved a couple months when we had Kathy. She was born on a Thursday night. She was in church that Sunday. Amen. You realize they have most of their the, the antibodies and stuff in their system those first six months and any other time. That's not the time to keep them home. Have them in church. Glorifying God. Amen. Preacher, that's good stuff right there. I like it. People retire from a job and suddenly they, it's like they retire from church. They can't, they can't be faithful anymore. Hobbies can distract us. Hobbies can get in the way of us serving the Lord. It's like people almost get a new God in their life when they get distracted and that's a shame. So he had a problem with being unstable. Not only that, he had a problem with being unwise. You say, how's that? He's a married man. Think of what she was just told to do by his wife. He ought to know that's not right. He ought to have known that that's not wise. He'd been a married man for a long time. He actually believed. Now, think about this. Think seriously about what his wife has just suggested. And he thought she meant it. He thought she meant it. I'm going to give you a newsflash here. Women don't mean everything they say. I want you to think about it. They are so insincere about a lot of things. I'll give you an example. It won't bother me. Don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, oh, don't do anything for my birthday. Don't be an idiot. You better do something. How about this one? I'm not hungry. Well, really, what do you want me to order you some fries? No, no, I'm not hungry. And then they eat most of your fries. Thought you weren't hungry. Come on now. 
Don't be afraid, men, to say amen right there. Every man's had that happen to him. Man, that was perfect timing. That was great. At least we got one man in the congregation. How about this one? Nothing's wrong. I'm simply saying he was unwise. I have enough sense to know that no wife would really want their husband to do what they are, he was, she was encouraging her husband to do. And by this time, I mean, look how old he was. He should have had sense enough to know that. He's in his 80s. Not only that, he was unethical. You look at verse 6. Says, and Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hands. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And then Sarah deals harshly with him. Now, wait a second. He's just gotten her pregnant. She's expecting. And he did it because of his wife. Okay. Uh, let's see. All right, I'm going to stop the message for just a moment. So the Wally left a moment ago. Don't know the reason why, but he did ask for prayer when he left. So let's stop and pray, whatever the need is. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, whatever this is about, how we pray that you'd be with Wally as he goes to the hospital, be with Miss Glenda. Lord, whatever the need is in this hour, we pray, dear God, that you would meet it in a very powerful way. And Lord, we'll thank you. We thank you for all the things you've already done and pray, dear God, that you would continue to move in this situation. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we get back to the thought that he was unethical. He said to his wife, do what you want with her. Now, what is that about? Do what you want with her. She's expecting his child now. He worked this plan with his wife. Imagine, imagine him using her. He wooed her. He committed adultery with her. And then he was willing to tell his wife, do what you want with her. There's just no way that's right. There's a big difference between men and women when it comes to these matters. A lot of times men can be extremely lecherous in a, in a way that they think that women don't understand men a lot in this area. And I don't know about Hagar, but I do know that what she has just said to him, what uh, Sarai has said to him, and what he says back to his wife is not right. This is going to be Abram's firstborn child. And what he just tells his wife is very unethical. So we got a wicked man, we got a wicked plan. But in this story, we also see a sovereign God. God protects this gal that's done wrong. God doesn't leave her just out there floating, not knowing what's going on and, uh, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow. She's being cast out of the home. She's not going to have anything to live on. And she's going to have a child to raise. But you'll notice it said in verse Eight, and he said, uh, Hagar, well, verse 7, And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the, in the way to shore. 
And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her hands. And the angel of the Lord then gives her a promise. He says, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for the multitude. Now, God is protecting her. There are consequences to sin. You know, people blame God or want to blame God for things that are not his fault. It's not God's fault she's expecting here. It's not God's fault. God didn't do it. Abraham and his wife did it. It's like people today blaming God for AIDS. Don't blame God for AIDS. Had it not been for man's sin, there wouldn't have been AIDS. Some of you may not remember, but back when AIDS first got known in the 1980s, it was called GRID. The name, you look it up. I imagine even Google still got that story. I'm sure they haven't undone it. But you look it up, it was called gay-related immune deficiency. That was the name of it. And there was a movement upon that part of our society to then flood the blood banks with tainted blood, and they did it. So it spread far beyond just the gays at that time. And then people want to blame God for such a terrible thing coming about. No, that's man's sin. That's the result of man's sin that that comes about. Man, I just gave you some politically incorrect, true news. For some of the young people here, you need to understand that about HIV, where it came from. Anyway, let me, let me move on. And that left us with a permanent problem. The permanent problem in verse 12, and he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now... Verse 12 is applied, of course, to Ishmael, which leads us mostly to the group of people who are called Muslim today, the Arabic people in the Middle East. They are direct descendants of Ishmael. Whether it be Saddam Hussein, Muammar Gaddafi, Arafat, Ishmael was their ancestor. It goes back to him. What we're doing here is getting to the root of all that we've seen take place. Ishmael was born to Hagar. Hagar raised Ishmael as the illegitimate son of Abraham. Now, Abraham and Sarah, they get back to being right with God. They end up having Isaac. Now, while all that is happening, Hagar is raising Ishmael but not one who is being pampered or taken care of or has any promises from his father. No, his father did wrong. His wife had done wrong. And now he has to bear the brunt of not being in the respected position that he should have been as the firstborn. Can you imagine what the table conversation must have been like in the tent of Hagar and Ishmael? Especially when just down the way, there's that Christian couple, Abraham and Sarah. All the riches are to them, and when they have a son, the inheritance all goes to him. 
to that son who would come along 14 years later, knowing that the birthright is going to be going to Isaac and not to Ishmael. When Ishmael was the firstborn, you can only imagine how they must have felt toward Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. As a matter of fact, it comes out later when again Sarah turns her wrath upon Ishmael when she sees Ishmael making fun of Isaac and goes to cast him out. So you get a glimpse of later of this hatred that Ishmael had for Isaac. Meanwhile, the good Christians down the street have been mistreating them. Ishmael had to live with that. Now, God tells us what would take place with the descendants. The wars have never been about getting oil. The wars over there have always been about getting even. And that's what it's still about. It's interesting. They'll fight one another. They'll kill one another. You go back to Gulf War I, that all started because Saddam Hussein attacked Kuwait. And butchered a lot of Kuwaitis. And when it seemed like the world turned on them, and the United States, of course, got involved, and the UN and others got involved in this thing, Saddam Hussein wasn't threatening the United States. He threatened Israel. And he fired rockets. Where? At the United States? No, he fired the rockets at Israel. Why? Because if we can get Israel involved in this, then all the other sons of Ishmael... They'll join with us. That was his strategy. That's what he was shooting for. Because there was one person, you know, even the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And that's what it's been about this whole time. This man was born angry, stayed angry, and his descendants stayed angry. In both Gulf Wars... The desire of those who had started the fight, even though they had killed other Arabs, other Muslims, tried to get Israel involved. Because the Bible says he's a wild man and he dwells with brethren. Every man's hand is against him. All those people hate one another. They hate each other until one of them gets after Israel and then they're together. Isn't it interesting what's happened? What just took place with Hamas over there, the attack on Israel, and now others are rising up. They are interested in getting involved in this too. Uh, you know, in my home, my younger sister, I've got two younger sisters. Uh, my youngest sister was born just shortly before I left home. Uh, so I didn't have a lot to do with my younger sister, Brenda, but my young sister, the one that's just under me, four years younger than me, was Linda. Now, she may hear this tape, and I want to be careful what I say. <laughs> we kid about this stuff now. But my idea growing up was she was her daddy's baby. She was the princess. How many older brothers are there that had a princess for a sister? Yeah, okay. And so, you know, I would do things. It, it was hard to get her in trouble because no matter what happened, somehow it was going to fall on me. I do remember one time breaking a ruler and on, not, not on purpose, by accident, and thinking, well, how can I work this out for something good? 
So I kind of fitted it back together and put it in a place where I knew she'd probably pick it up. And I knew if she picked it up, it would be broken already. I'd already broke it. And she'd get in trouble for it. No, Dad saw it. I, I don't know if he had a sixth sense. He knew. I remember one time we were making uh, toasted cheese sandwiches, grilled cheese sandwiches, my cousin and I. And while we were making the first one, my sister comes in and says, I want one. So we're making it, and he goes to pour, put some salt on it, and the cap came off. So we scraped most of it off back into the shaker, and we decided that that one was hers. A little tattletale had to tell everybody. We got in trouble again. You say, you weren't a very good brother, were you? No, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what. If somebody ever went to hurt my sister, I'd have been all over them. You know, you can get in a brotherly fight, but somebody picks on your brother, you take off after them. You protect your brother. Something about family like that. And that's the way it is there. They hate one another, but they hate the one that hurt mother more. They're about getting even over there. And I've said all that to get down to four lessons from this story. You say, preacher, well, I'm still not convinced that this goes all the way back to there. Well, that's fine. You'll find out you're wrong when we get to heaven. That's okay. But what does all this mean to me? Well, let me give you four very practical nevers. Number one, never manipulate the will of God. Find God's will and do it. When I surrendered to preach on the last Sunday of January 1974, I was the first to have surrendered to preach in the years that I had been going there. We'd been going to the church about two and a half years, and I know they had some people before that. But after I surrendered to preach, five different men also surrendered to preach. Out of those other five men, only one went off to Bible college, and he only went for half of a semester. The other four never even got off to Bible college. And it was interesting the different excuses they gave for not going off into the ministry someplace. They had surrendered. Listen, when God calls, you just go. You don't sit there and try to manipulate some kind of different answer. You surrender to the mission field, you better go to the mission field. You surrender to preach, you better preach. God calls you, you just go. You don't sit there and try to, try to manipulate some way out of it. So never manipulate the will of God. Number two, never violate the word of God. If God says don't do it, don't do it. Live by the word. To me, this is absolutely key in life. It's why my life's verse. I know some people get sick of hearing it, but it's my life's verse. I'm not going to change it. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. If we want everything that God has for us in our life, then you better take God's word seriously. But it's amazing. You've got people, they, are, they go church shopping all the time. They're looking for a church that won't preach against the things that they like to do. And that's what they find out before they join. Only to somewhere down the line to find something preached against that they do do, and then they decide they need to go someplace else. 
Find out what God's word says and obey it. Whether you like it or not, that's not the point. If God said it, it's right. So just follow God's word. Never manipulate the word of God. Number three, never negotiate on moral issues. Immorality is always wrong. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But adulterers and whoremongers, God will judge. That's always the case. There was a country song a few years ago. I don't know if this was the title of it or not. I remember hearing it one day in a store and I couldn't believe it. How can anything that feels so good be wrong? Easy. If it's against God's word, it's wrong. Has nothing to do with how anything feels. Never Never negotiate on moral issues when it comes to setting standards for your life. And I do say, even people that will leave here because they don't like the standards that we have here, they'll still have some standards somewhere along the line. I mean, unless you get absolutely so perverted that you think it'd be all right to come to church nude, you're going to have some standards. The reality is every church has some standards, just that they try to make them as least offensive as what they can to what culture is. And culture is a horrible way to judge what's right and wrong. The society never gets it right. Every culture answers to God's word. God's word doesn't answer to culture. That's just truth. Number four, never underestimate your decisions to think that that decision to follow his wife's advice and do what he did would still affect us in 2023 world I'll guarantee he never even gave that a thought David never gave a thought that if he stayed in the palace at a time when kings went forth to battle that if he just stayed in the palace that it would lead to temptation. I mean, the palace wasn't a bad place to be. It just wasn't the place he was supposed to be. It was a time when kings went forth to battle. He was king. He had a place he was supposed to be, and he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And may I say, a lot of people get in trouble, things that absolutely ruin their lives, ruin their testimony, just because they're not where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. He never thought it would lead to adultery. He never thought that being where he wasn't supposed to be would lead to murder. He never thought that it would mean the defiling of his daughter Tamar. He never thought that it would mean the life of his son Amnon. He never thought that it would mean the rebellion of his son Absalom. He never thought that it would mean the death of his son Absalom. And he surely never thought that just staying in the palace would lead to the enemies of God blaspheming his God. Parents, you need to understand that the decisions you make, no matter what they are, have an impact upon your family, upon your children, upon your grandchildren. Oh, when you get a little disgruntled about things and you're just a little put out, you better watch what you say. Because it may set the wrong thing in your children that create in them a lifetime of heartache and trouble. Never underestimate your decisions. 
I guarantee you that as Eve looked at that tree that they were forbidden to eat, that when she saw it and it looked good and the devil had told her that it wouldn't be any problem, she never thought that she would bring death to billions of people. But she did. Never underestimate the decisions that you make. No man is an island. Yes, we do. I've heard people say this, till I'm sick of it. Well, it's my life. I can do what I want. The problem is doing what you want affects other people. If you're a believer, believe me, it affects other people. If you're a non-believer, even that affects other people and can create heartache and trial and trouble beyond your wildest imaginations. Seemed like, well, it's just our home. It's a family thing. This is what we've decided to do. Yeah, and the impact of that will go far beyond your home to lives that you'll never meet this side of death, and yet they will be impacted by the decisions that you make. You need to understand. That's the way it is. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And we always reap more than what we sow. So never manipulate the will of God. Never violate the word of God. Never negotiate moral issues. And never underestimate your decisions. Is there some decision you're thinking about making tonight? You better make sure and think it through and talk to God about it and find out what he has to say about it lest you make a horrendous decision. We had a family, I'll not give their name, only those who've been with us for the last, uh, beyond the last 15 years would have any clue who these people are. They were a sweet couple, had a couple of girls that were sweet girls that were in our academy and all of that. The guy got offered more money uh, if he moved. I believe he would be working for the same company. I believe that's so, but if I'm wrong, it doesn't make any difference on that. But he made his decision on the basis that it would mean more money. So they moved, dropped out of church. Family ended up breaking apart. One girl had a daughter out of wedlock. He and his wife ended up divorced. Wow, the only issue that there was way back then before they moved was more money. That was the issue. He didn't know that that more money would mean that kind of destruction. Now, getting a raise isn't always bad and doesn't have to be bad, but you better make sure that it's God that's given that to you and that this is God's will in your life. It still absolutely shocks me, Brother Popwell, when somebody says, well, I'm moving and get more money. You say, well, do you have a church there that you're going to be going? I, no, but we'll find one as soon as we get there. Don't you make that kind of decision without knowing you've got a place to go that's going to stand on the word of God and preach it to your family and continue to be a help to you. My, we could fill, we could fill the next three hours with stories of people who've made that wrong decision just on where they were going to go to worship. They made a horrible decision. And you look at it and you say, well, that was a different time, wasn't it? No, people are exactly the same today. It wasn't a different time at all. The issues are still alive. 
So let us learn. God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 twice that these things were recorded for our admonition so that we not make the same mistake. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Dear God, deal with our hearts. We learned some, I hope, very valuable lessons from this life of Abraham and with his wife Sarah, with Hagar and Ishmael. Oh, Lord, what a mistake they made. I just pray, Heavenly Father, that in 2023 here, you would teach us so that we would learn and continue to walk according to your word, according to your will, and according to your way. Have your way in every heart and life, I pray in Jesus' name.